It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. This Locked On Podcast is brought to you by Home Chef. Now that the novelty of the new year has dwindled down, how are your resolutions coming? One of mine was to order less, take out, cook more at home. But I'll be honest, I haven't been consistent. That is until I found Home Chef. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify the cooking experience and without robbing you of the joy of putting a dish together yourself. I'm Pescatarian, and they cater to a variety of dietary needs. I had this super refreshing ginger sesame salmon, a beautiful trout dish, and a super comforting shrimp and vegetable orzo dish, all of which took me less than 30 minutes to put together. For a limited time right now, Home Chef is offering all of our listeners 18 free meals plus free shipping on your first box, and free dessert for life at homechef.com slash locked on. That's homechef.com slash locked on for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. Homechef.com slash locked on must be an active subscriber to receive free dessert. Kyle Krabs here, host of Locked On NFL Scouting. Join Joe Marino and me every day as we provide position-by-position analysis of the upcoming NFL Draft. Check out the Locked On NFL Scouting podcast with the Draft Dudes on YouTube or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Good evening and welcome to the NFL Draft. Tonight, we officially welcome the next generation of players. So if you're ready, are you ready? Let's get it started. The NFL Draft is officially open. Welcome inside the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. I am Trevor Sikama. With me is Benjamin Solak. We are starting day one of the linebacker position in our summer scouting series. Ben, the summer scouting series, we're like coming to an end here. You know, we only got three positions left. I'm going to yeah, miss them. What are we, we going to do? Are we just going to shut the podcast down for the year? No more trench players do no more hog mollies and also no we're gonna cover nebraska michigan iowa and ohio state as they play in the big 12 <laughs> dude being uh, online and covering college football is ex- like my head hurts it's well i mean just, it's, it's, so it's always much. exciting like college football in and of itself is wild that's why everybody enjoys it so much but this year in particular when nobody knows what's going on it's. I mean, it, it's even more must-see timeline content. I saw somebody, because I believe, as we're recording this podcast, it is Monday afternoon, so it, things could change by the minute. So if something happened after we put this podcast out, our apologies. But we're just reacting to the way things are right now. 12 of the 14 presidents in the Big 12 voted to not play football this year. The two that didn't, or the two that like wanted to still play, Iowa and Nebraska. And somebody on my timeline said, just let Iowa and Nebraska play 10 times. <laughs> Whoever survives gets to represent the Big Ten in the college football playoff. <laughs> I just have... Loser can't grow corn anymore. <laughs> just knocked off. All That's the corn it. in the state immediately dies. The uh, Iowa running back... um. um uh, Goodson, Tyler Goodson, yeah. Uh-huh. I just imagine him just like banging home a four yard score, and the announcer going, "That's Goodson's 18th." <laughs> 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 it's 
18th touchdown against the Huskers. <laughs> it's like you're just like talking about they the division lead. Yeah, he leads the Big Ten in yards with 24 yep. this season. <laughs> He's a top two passer in the Big Ten. <laughs> if they do it, we should get at least the sideline gig, if not the booth. Man, because we I... would take it so seriously. And by so seriously, I mean not seriously at all. Listen, I will hand write in cursive whatever I need to to whoever I need to to get us in the booth for a 10-game in cursive Iowa-Nebraska schedule. Okay, but Which before... Which can end as nothing but 5-5. Five, five. All right, go. Uh, obviously, before we get to that, before Ben and I become the, the play-by-play and color announcers for the greatest 10-game uh, series in college football history, we do have some linebackers to go over. And Ben, last week you talked about the edge-rushing class really surprising you. Dude, here we are on the first day, a linebacker group, and uh, I don't know if we just looked at... The good ones right away, or I'm. I, it's it's signs of me really enjoying this class. But we've got some exciting prospects to talk about um, here today on this first day of the linebacker group. Yeah, I wanted to obviously open with uh, Michael Parsons, who's you know just a, a from all accounts a consummate prospect, and then Dylan Moses, who I know both of us loved last year, is now obviously in this class because of the injury he sustained last season. Um, but then the other two. With, which I don't know if we're saying their names yet or not, but the other two I was you're allowed to you're allowed about. to it's it's not a it's not you know Paulie Ie and Naoteote yeah no you got it you got it I think the, the yeah the you fourth? got it yeah that's the weird that's the craziest part about his name is that he's of the fourth you look at his name Paulie Naoteote and you go all right wow that's a unique name and then you go hold up. There's been three of these guys already. There's been three of this yeah. exact name already. What a family! They the best thing is I, I this I don't know why this made me laugh so hard, but it did. His at on Twitter is Palaiinaoteote, which firstly didn't have to worry about any of his pops or his grandpops having the uh, the handle, right? Yeah. What if his, what if what if his guys. grandfather already had the Twitter handle? Right, which would have been hilarious. But also, like, when, I remember when I was like, all right, is at Benjamin Solak around? I was, like, kind of nervous. Can you imagine how invulnerable you feel if you're a Paul Ian Aote and you're just like, yeah, all my socials are going to be first name, last name. Nobody can touch me. Well, he, play, he, he plays pretty invincible. Like, he plays yeah. with the thought that he's pretty invincible. So I, we could just start with him. We'll, we'll start with him. We'll kick things off with Palaie Naoteote the fourth. Linebacker. At USC, consensus five-star player, six foot two, two hundred and fifty pounds. This kid is built. He was a he was the number one linebacker in the twenty eighteen class, number fifteen player overall. Where I started his evaluation is, I looked at him and I went, "Wow, six two two fifty. And I had I I went over to mockdraftable.com and I was like, "What linebackers are this big?" Or bigger because he might be bigger. Like the dude, the dude's absolutely stacked. I feel. Uh, which also stacked as a linebacker and where's number one? Big fan. Yeah. Big fan. Well, especially when you're rocking two hundred and forty plus pounds. Yeah. And carrying it well. So I mean, the only, the only two linebackers that I I kind of found that have had a lot of success. Well, not a, it depends how you view a lot. But Leighton Vander Esch and Dunta Hightower. Hightower is about 265. He's a freak. Like, Hightower is just straight up a freak. And then Vander Esch is built very well. 
He's an athletic guy to marvel at, but he was about 255 pounds as well. So if Palaya Naoteote is is 250, that puts him on the higher standard of scale for the linebacker position. How did you think he played with that weight? Was it too much? Because this is by far the heaviest guy that we're going to go over today. What did you think of him? Right. So yeah, if I uh, if I tell you 240 pound linebacker, and I give you no other information. You're going to assume, prototype-wise, he's a hoss against the run, can stack and shed, can throw blockers around, physical right. dude between the tackles. Yeah, he's like a Sam he, or a Mike. Right, and then that he probably has limitations, zone dropping, and matching in space. With Naoteote, you're completely incorrect. Literally polar opposite wrong. And that's why he's really interesting, is because his best reps are quickness, change of direction whether that's mm-hmm. coming off the edge rushing which they occasionally have him do or dropping straight down the pipe i mean they have him drop like a you know run a pole like it's tampa two they have him short zone drop and he's successful in all of these capacities you watch that that film against utah flying around the field mm-hmm. impacting the short area throws and utah really wanted to be a quick passing game setup spread and shred and not denying throwing lanes left and right with really nice instincts with really quality quickness. And so, and, and, and the funny thing is it's like, it's not even like he's a big guy, like Lane Van Rush, big guy, but he's so long that he just occupies more space. No, Teote is even that long. No, like he's, he's, he's compact. Like you look at him and yeah. you go, this dude's stacked. Right. And so he, it, it's really impressive how well he moves in space. And I think he's got really good natural instincts with a linebacker. It's usually not hard to tell right away when they've just got a feel for what's happening behind them, uh, eyes in the back of their heads. They know how to sit in their short zones. I felt that way about Naotoote. Now, as I said, polar opposite, you know, photo negative here. He does play way more like a gap shooting 225 pound linebacker than I thought he was going to. And then you'd expect a player of this compactness go to. He's willing to be physical. He's willing to meet in the trenches. He absolutely, he'll, stack he'll you know uh keep outside shoulder clean block down step down he'll wrong arm too successfully when he's playing off the edge which is really nice to see but he likes to attack first sunlight he likes to attack first daylight he will shoot downhill into a gap when if he played a little bit more patient i think he has the strength functional mass balance and flexibility to be a lot more successful of a reacting linebacker who stacks and sheds and controls the point of attack and always shows up where he needs to be he's a little bit too much of a guesser right now yeah. in when yeah. he's when he's a stack linebacker i think is the best like he's just like and this is probably it it's like dude like you you physically are able to hang out and <laughs> and really react yeah to what you see you you can read so I, I i don't know if he just doesn't trust his eyes as much as you want him to yet but all of this to say i, I say that he's super intriguing in this way because if you can teach him how to play patient head behind the ball a little bit eyes a little bit behind the ball and just wait he has the physical tools, which a lot of linebackers don't have at the college level, to let that climbing guard come up to him, but still win, sustain, yeah, that's generate a good, leverage, yeah, that's sustain a good point. leverage and tackle. A good and so point. I think that's a really high ceiling there in that regard. Yeah. So just from reading about the situation, it feels as though USC was very Sucks. excited to get, wow, okay, Um they were just they were very excited to get this kid. And yeah. 
they tried to kind of throw him out there early. Um, he had a torn meniscus that he was getting over in the the camp before his reg or his freshman, his true freshman year. And then when he came out, he was playing a lot of different linebacker spots. Like he initially was playing Mike, I believe, and then a couple of games they wanted to use his athleticism and coverage, and so they move him over to Will. And I watched an interview where he was talking about the differences in USC's defense playing Mike and playing Will, and he said, you know, Will is a little bit more free. You 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 have the chance to be more aggressive, both in coverage, going after the ball and things in the backfield. And uh, Mike, you've got to be a lot more disciplined with Yvar. You've got to hold the center of the defense, all that kinds of stuff. But it just seemed like USC was doing whatever they could to get him on the field, which I get, you know, like this is a talented five-star kid. He's a, mm-hmm. a rare athlete for his size. But to build off of the point where you're like, he's definitely not patient right now. It just seems like USC is telling him, when you see red, go get red. You know, like right. when, when you see it, go get it. And I'm glad that you brought that point up because when you have a six foot two, 235 pound linebacker, He's more than 235. I don't want to no, 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 I'm saying, I'm saying when, oh, if, if, if you have dude. this kind of player, you have to get speed and momentum on your side. If you're challenging a guard, either like right where they are, or if they're climbing to the second level for you not to get overpowered, these guys probably have a hundred pounds on you and it's just natural that they're going to be with physicality. So I would understand why linebackers of that size are overly aggressive to run up into blockers or to try to shoot gaps or or just again what you kind of said not be patient being or being over aggressive I don't know why Naoteote is so over aggressive in what he does because to me right now that's by far the biggest thing that needs to get fixed with him is that he just wants to see red and I don't know if you saw this but did you see the LaVisca Chenault hit yeah, well, he, I mean, he hits like a ton of freaking bricks. Right, he hits like a ton of bricks, but like, that hit didn't need to be like that. That hit was he him going... his own bell. Right, 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 right. But, but like, that's yeah. the thing, like, it did not need to be like that. He could have lowered his shoulder and driven LaVisca Chenault into the ground. But instead, he went for this, like, shoulder-high helmet contact arm goes up hit stick kind of highlight real thing and it's like dude you don't need to put that much of your body into it you are big enough to handle things the way that they need to get handled and just so discipline and patience is something that does not exist enough from what I saw in Naoteote's game right now to match what you would want to be an alluring profile as a draft prospect. That was my big thing with him. I'm glad you mentioned the coverage because I do think that he can drop into coverage pretty well. Um, He could contain the seam. He could go up against tight ends. I think he's really valuable in the middle of the field, dropping even deep into coverage. He's great when things are downhill. Like He attacks things aggressively and strong with physicality, but it often gets him in trouble. It needs to not get him him in trouble as much is is my big takeaway. At the end of the day, blind linebacker assessment. Would you rather a guy play too fast or too slow? Absolutely 100% well, uh, too fast. Yeah, of course you, you, yeah. you'd much and, rather him play too right. fast. So that's the thing is like with Naoteote, I feel very strongly that everything left for him is calibration. Uh, there, there's 
I, technique wise, I've seen him stack multiple blocks multiple ways the way that I want him to. Coverage wise, I've seen him drop the you know into his own drop successfully. I've seen him parse and understand uh, you know backfield motion and and, and jet sweeps and, and and option decisions. I've seen him. him calculate those it's not perfect but i've seen him do all of it now it's calibration now it's fine tuning i I need to adjust his play style and i think i need to get him a little bit more consistent in his reads and trusting his eyes but i I, the foundation i have athletically and then even when he's been able to put on film in his first two seasons to me is enough to say i've got a potential starter and i'm excited about oh for sure yeah Yeah. a potential starter no doubt about it i think you see the flashes like you see the ceiling of what this kid could be but he's he's clearly just too reckless right now and what he's doing you just got to tone it down Mm -hmm. a little bit but to your point you'd much rather a guy be giving you too much and you got to hone it in a little bit than them not being able to give you enough so i think that was my my big takeaway from uh naoteote Hey guys, it's Joe Marino. Being around sports media and a fan of the Buffalo Bills for a lifetime has taught me that sometimes it's exploring the sliding doors moments and what-if scenarios in sports that can be the best part of the fan experience. What if the Seahawks let Marshawn run on the one-yard line with the Super Bowl on the line, or could a coin flip have landed Magic in Chicago, Michael in L.A., and made Charles Barkley the first black president? Enter Wondery's newest sports show, Alternate Routes, a weekly leap into the sports multiverse with former Sports Center anchors Trey Wingo and Kevin Frazier. Each week on the podcast, Trey and Kevin will pry open the sliding doors of a different what if moment from the world of sports. In these alternate sports realities, dynasties will fall, legacies will change forever, and new goats will emerge. Follow Alternate Routes on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. And you can listen to alternate routes early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. Who's next? Who's number two? You wanna, we, we, we mentioned Moses and Micah. We'll hold them and let's hit Jabril Cox right now. Okay, all right. Jabril Cox, transfer from North Dakota State. He's a grad transfer. So his transfer was already put in motion before the canceling of the season and all that kinds of stuff. Six foot three, 233 pounds. Ben, we're talking about three five-star linebackers today. Jabril Cox wasn't even a three-star. He was a two-star. Reprehensible. He was a two-star recruit. I looked this up. He was the 3,246th ranked recruit in the 2016 high school class. Yeah, I think so. Dude, recruiting rankings are... Bananas, cream pie, man. Yeah, to people are crazy. He actually played high. He played a quarterback in high school. Jabril Cox did, and and to have some fun, I went back and I looked at his uh, his quarterback. As work always, you when, can always uh, bet on Trevor to have gone back and watched him for fun. If you played a very interesting position, and, and this will come up in our evaluation with him, his quarterback background, I was very interested to see how he played the position because I do think that it shows up when he's playing linebacker. Two time FCS. All-American, he was the Missouri Valley Defensive Player of the Year as a sophomore, had 91 tackles, four sacks, four picks, seven passes defended, and then a year later, he had a career high in sacks. He bested that season with five and a half sacks, 92 tackles. He started 38 games in his collegiate career so far, so a seasoned starter, now moving over to LSU, getting to take over in a spot where Patrick Queen, first-round pick, 
big void there at LSU. He gets to step into that lineup right away. Ben, what'd you see from Jabril Cox and him transferring from NDSU to a school like LSU? Yes, you you bring up Patrick Queen, and I liked Patrick Queen, man. And and I thought that Queen, more so than Murray and Brooks and, and, and arguably even Simmons, kind of with where Simmons lined up and what he was doing, I thought that Queen's coverage ability for a linebacker in zone was special. Uh, and that, that was going to translate really well to the league. Cox's ability to man coverage at the FCS level was just dumb. <laughs> like, it, it, again, it goes like... If you're going to be an NFL or playing the FCS level, I should not even need to know your number to be able to pull you off the film. And you watch North Dakota State defense and you're like, ah, yeah, that kid, the one who's just like blanketing like number three to trips. You just like they just flex. They flexed him out over everybody and they didn't care because he was able to move with them successfully. And at yep. six, four two thirty, you know, he's got a, a bit of a lanky build he's got some length to him he doesn't necessarily uh, yeah look like... i think he's like 230 no more than yes. 230 he's right. no and, more than 230 right and he's got some length to him and so you he's not you know naotaote is compact naotaote excuse me is compact no one would be describing jabril cox as compact um so freshman of the year in 2017 defense player of the year 2018 i think he was the player of the year in 2019 for the missouri valley Ed Orgeron said when he um, when they they brought in Jabril Cox, well, firstly, he said we've had good history with grad transfers here, which is huh, no, very you, funny. You know, wait, wait, wait. You got to say it in the Ed O voice. Good history with grad transfers. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> um, but then he also proceeded to say that they oh, were told perfect. that Cox would have been a round one pick at linebacker by NFL guys. They were told that when he transferred, if he had decided to come out. That I I don't buy. No, um, I don't either. Yeah, no. If Naoteote is a bit of a guesser, Jabril Cox is fully out here just stabbing in the dark. Uh, he does not parse his reads. When he's shooting downhill, you mean? In, in terms of just when he's reading backfield action. Okay. Uh, he likes to cheat a lot. Like he likes to, he gets suckered in by backfield motion. When you get jet motion, when you get players moving left and right across his vision, when you get play action. He wants to go chase ball and get ball, and he's not dedicated to reading his primary visual keys, which are your guards. Typically, as you're reading your interior offensive linemen. So you watch, you know, the Jabril Cox game against uh, James Madison. You watch the game against South Dakota State, which were the two defensive films that I had in full for North Dakota State. You can tell that, especially that JMU game, play action got him flying around. Like he was really willing to. Close quick. And, and some of his best plays against the run, he has, he has a lot of tackle production at or near the line of scrimmage. A, a lot of that is because he's so willing to fly. And it's impressive to see, I think, mm-hmm. his speed on the run, right? 6'4", 230. I think that he really has got some wheels to him. Uh, we could be looking at a player who doesn't test, you know, who, who tests not similarly to Isaiah Simmons, but his height weight speed profile is going to have people asking where can't we put this guy mm-hmm. but so even with all those good plays considered i mean he's very easy to make bite right now so unless you have him run and chasing everything from like a will or an overhang position it's very tough to have him being a primary field defender play side so lsu's got to slow him down and teach him how to play through his keys be able to play behind the ball a little bit similar to what we're talking about with naoteote he's just got bigger problems there and he's clearly not the same physical player than Otote is either sure. but in coverage yeah. Cox is really likable yeah it's you know coverage is so important 
for being a linebacker that's going to go high in the draft, right? Because a lot of people point to tackles. Tackles are a big stat for linebackers. It's just what they get. If you can tackle, congratulations. You're like 30,000 other linebackers in the country from every level of college football, right? I mean, like they all can tackle. There's a, we, we get guys all the time that lead the nation in tackling and then they end up going late day three or undrafted. And some people go like, well, why the heck did this happen? They led the nation in tackling. Well, you can get tackling almost anywhere. It's coverage ability that you covet. Right. And the reason why I brought up the fact that Jabril Cox played quarterback in high school is that as I watched some of his best coverage plays, the ones where he could really either get his hand on the ball in a pass, uh, in, a, in, a, in a pass deflection or the just outright interceptions, he seems to know the timing of passes really well. Like he understands, okay, if this guy is lined up here, he's probably running one of maybe these kinds of routes. And when the route starts and he recognizes it, he also understands when the timing of the ball coming is going to get there. Because I watched him specifically playing coverage from the slot or from a overhang position um, or just even moving over from a, a will linebacker spot. And he would have his head looking at the receiver, but then his head would turn almost at the exact time that you would want it to for the ball to just start its flight to the wide receiver, and he's right there, and he gets right in front of it because he's already looking for it because he already understands the timing of passing. I think that is really underrated for a linebacker in coverage is understanding the timing of passes, knowing when to turn your head, when to look for the ball, and know where the ball is going to be coming from, too. There was one interception that he had. Oh, I don't remember what team it was, but it was it was, it was was the one where it, it was that wheel route up towards the sideline. Do you remember this? Did you watch all of his interceptions? Was there a place which you could watch all of his interceptions? Yeah, because there, um, there were a couple of highlight films where I think they had all six of his career interceptions on there. But anyways, it's a wheel route that's going up towards the sideline. And Cox gets burnt on the turn of the wheel. Like, he was not expecting it to come. But then once he realized what it was, he's like, oh, shoot, this wheel route. He puts his foot in the ground, and he accelerates, and he tries to get that recovery speed. And then he turns the his head towards the ball the second it's landing right there because he understands the timing of the route. And the ball just happened to land right in his hands because... It, it was a poor throw, but he knew exactly when to turn around for the ball to be right there because he has such a good feel for when passes are coming. Linebackers that used to play quarterback, I think, have a natural mental ability to them to understand coverages really, really well. They can, as a baseline, just start out further than even some other linebackers who are great in coverage just because of their athletic ability. Coverage there's a big mental aspect to it, and I think Jabril Cox shows that. That's the most encouraging part for me. So when I hear things like, oh, he could have been a first-round linebacker if he went last year, I'm with you. I don't necessarily believe that right off the bat, but I get why people go he could be a first-rounder because you've watched some of the plays that he's made in coverage over the years. And So that was my big takeaway with him is that I don't think he's a complete linebacker prospect yet. I feel like him going to LSU would have really helped the missing physical components of his game. And like you said, there, the kind of the preparation, having the speed, get a little bit of an uptick there, a little bit of an uptick at the SEC level. But the coverage baseline I thought was so well, I could see a high projection from him. I'm very 
interested in like if as we transition to Micah Parsons, right? Who Parsons is like six four through forty. I'm very interested in the conversations around Parsons relative to Cox, who's like we said, six four two thirty. But also in terms of like linebackers who can line up pretty much anywhere on the second level for you. Like Parsons obviously has the edge rushing experience that Cox doesn't have, but still line up over three, line up over two, drop into uh, have the range necessary to drop into the flats, range necessary to cover, constraint plays, bubble plays, all that stuff. Like Micah Parsons is the dude, but Jabril Cox, you get his eyes right athletically. Mm-hmm. He could be the dude. Yeah, there's a <laughs> Micah to quote Ben Solak of the Locked On NFL Draft podcast. Micah Parsons is the dude, but if you get Jabril Cox's eyes right, he could be the dude. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just out here looking for dudes, man. Just guys being dudes. Oh, scouting notes that you could only get here on the Lockdown NFL Draft Podcast. All right, you you did the transition for me. I appreciate that. Micah Parsons, Penn State linebacker, has already... Why, did, did, that take was so aggressive, you just smacked the crap out of your mic, didn't you? <laughs> I slapped the table on which the mic is mounted, do which you I've been hold, asked not to do multiple times. Do you want me to finish introing his measurables, or can the take not wait? He's Luke Keekley and Isaiah Simmons melded together. Okay, um, that is that is some extremely high praise. Look, man, I was about to mention that when you look at this dude. So, all right, I'm just going to finish it anyways. Five-star recruit, played running back in high school and defensive end. He really hadn't even been playing linebacker that long. He's played defensive end in high school. His senior year, he rushed for over 1,200 yards, had 27 rushing touchdowns while having nine and a half sacks. It's incredible. Played nine all- and a half sacks. Do you know how obnoxious that is? Played in all 13 games as a true freshman, had one start at Penn State, that is. And then he started 12 games last season as a true sophomore. So remember this, folks. Micah Parsons has not been playing linebacker that long. So when you go through his tape and you watch games early on in the season of 2019, understand that's his first year really starting at linebacker. Then you get to the Memphis game at the end of the year and you go, this is one of the best performances I've ever seen from a linebacker at the collegiate level. And you go, okay, this is the end of his year two? This is the end of his first year as a starter? This kid is a freak athletically. He was on Bruce Feldman's uh, freak list for college football. He's been clocked at a 4-4-3 in the 40-yard dash. Play speed's absolutely incredible. You mentioned two in- uh, incredible names right there. I gotta, <laughs> I gotta hear you expound upon this. But man, what I was gonna bring to the table is when you look at linebackers that run that fast, play that fast, there's not many that can even come to mind. I mean, the two that immediately came to mind to me were Ryan Shazier and Bobby Wagner. You know, like those are those right. are two dudes who ran near four four flats and played at that kind of speed too. But I mean, we've already thrown out enough all pro names here, so let's let's hear what you thought about uh, Michael Parsons when you put him on tape. Yeah, so obviously, like I say, he's Isaiah Simmons and Luke Keekley, and it's like, all right, that's a pointless thing to say, and it is, right? Like, it's just me being annoying. But, boy, you don't, you can't coach Micah Parsons, right? Micah Parsons is the sort of guy who gets drafted, and the linebacker coach says, all right, Micah, uh, in our defense, you uh, just do whatever you want. Just 
whatever you think is best. The number of plays where Parsons does not do what he should do and then is subsequently correct is obnoxious, <laughs> right? Play fakes. Pitt, Pitt tried to hit him on a on a uh, on a draw on a draw, like running back delay, and Parsons was just sitting in the a gap, like just completely ignoring the pass threat. <laughs> he just knew. It's amazing. He had multiple plays against Memphis. We're like, it's GT counter. He's got a stack. He's got to spill the ball inside. And he's just like, nah, I'm just, he's supposed to squeeze it. Excuse me, not spill it. He's supposed to squeeze. He's like, nah, I'm just going to wrong on this, make the tackle. It's so ridiculous. He's supposed to QB spy Tanner Morgan. He just rushes and he wins. Like, it's, it's not, he's not doing, you watch me like, this is so annoying because he's just so good. He, the instincts are it's crazy that I'm taking a 6'4", 240-pound guy who runs a 4-4-4, and the first thing I want to talk about is the mental aspect of his game. But that's what Micah Parsons is. It's just I do not know what is between this kid's ears, but nobody touch it. Nobody tell him to do anything. I swear to God, if somebody tries to coach him, he's like, oh, in my defense, you have to shut up. No, he doesn't. <laughs> Because his his range, his range of influence. There's nowhere in the field he can't get to because he's yeah. fast enough. Yeah. There's no block he can't take on because he's fat. He's he's strong enough and he's long enough. Because he's and not he's got, And he's got pass rush technique. I right, saw exactly. I saw him, I saw him hit. Great. Yeah, I saw him hit the A gap and the B gap a couple of times, right. and he did like a club rip. And I was like, "Excuse me, sir, what?" Yeah. With the sack against Minnesota, he's like a swim move from like from depth. He's like not even on the line. Just, <laughs> who? How are you real? So it, it's it's like. What what reps, what situations, what responsibilities will I like to protect Parsons from? I don't have an answer for you. Like, Penn State, he doesn't drop that much. They spy him, yeah. they rush him, and, they and blitz him, whatever. When he right? when he drops, he looks a little awkward right now. The back pe- right. like him backpedaling is really awkward right now. But you could tell it's just Wait, he, he doesn't because, do because it. I don't know who taught he shouldn't be backpedaling anyway. He should be side shuffling because he has legs the size of a giraffe. Well, this yeah, is not this, is, this is very true. The point here being that Parsons is so ridiculously pro-ready for a player's play for two seasons, which brings us obviously to to the point here. Michael Parsons is declared for the 2021 NFL draft. Michael Parsons is coming out here playing some NFL football, brother. Um, Parsons uh, made this decision. It was a difficult decision. He has a long interview on on Penn Live, which I it's I think it's a subscription article actually. So. Most people won't be able to read it, but Penn Live is obviously my area. Um, but he talks about his his daughter, and he talks about his, his his conversation with James Franklin, and it was a very difficult decision for Parsons. Parsons is does not track for me as a I'm here to make money sort of a dude. He clearly loves the Penn State football program. He clearly loves playing at Beaver Stadium, but he understood that for the sake of having a young family and for the sake of his health and potential earning potential, uh, potential his future earning potential. As a as a top five pick, which I think is a reasonable, not guaranteed, but reasonable projection for Parsons. Of course. It made sense for him to declare. So of Parsons is, is out. He's in the 2021 NFL draft. It's very difficult to imagine, you know, what I know of the rest of the linebacker class, the corner class, and the safety class, for me to say that there's any defensive player better than Parsons. I know coming into this, I was like suspicious of him. He blew me away. Tremendous, tremendous talent. I'm gonna say the same thing about Micah Parsons that I said about Rondale Moore. I cannot envision a world where he is not successful at the NFL level. I can't. He's too good at 
everything you would want him to be, minus a coach asking Rondale Moore to play six foot five possession red zone receiver responsibilities, and outside of some coach asking Micah Parsons to, I don't know, just play way away from the ball. I don't. I I really don't like safety defensive end. I don't know. I don't know at this point. Outside of a coach just completely misusing him. I cannot see reality. It's so hard to misuse him because is. what can he not Right, do? I almost I almost like struggled to come up with it right there. I guess like what are you going to put him in like outside corner? Sure, yeah, I guess he might not be successful there, but maybe he would. He could run a 4-4. Uh, he could probably get physical as hell, press people at the line of scrimmage. They'd get annoyed and probably quit at halftime. I just can't I can't see a world where he's not a stud. He's inc- now, it's his his game against Memphis at the end of the season was about as takeover of a performance as you can have from a linebacker. It's, he, a, dude, it's, a, it's a first team All-American in a meaningless bowl game. Not meaningless, but meaningless. Against like a group of five opponent too. Like for Par- Parsons could have so easily checked out of that game. And instead he just like went scorched earth on the Tigers. It was terrible. You know what? Uh, you know what? Something that might not get talked about a lot, which I hope does is Parsons' ability to also force fumbles. He's got six in two years, right? I mean, he only started one game last season. He had two forced fumbles. He started a bunch last year, and he had four. We've had some fun conversations, or at least I've certainly had fun bringing it up. Levante David stats in the NFL. Never. The one that really blows other people out of the water when it comes to guys being compared to Levante David is he's forced so many fumbles and that's such a big deal for defensive players and I feel like it's just forced fumbles doesn't get talked about a lot I mean when it's brought up I think that people correctly emphasize how much could mean because it's a turnover right well it's a potential turnover if you could jump on it but that was also something with Micah Parsons to go along with the speed along with the coverage ability along with the IQ putting himself in the right situation when he gets to that tackle point, you know, I mentioned before, there's 30,000 linebackers. There's not that many, but you know what I'm saying. There's a, there's, there's a million linebackers in college football who can just do tackles. But Parsons even does that part well and then forces fumbles. Like, he he takes the, the baseline part of playing linebacker and even puts a special rare trait to it. So, I mean, all of that to say, we we're, we're, I knew that we would do nothing but praise the guy because his tape's amazing, but... Man, I, 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 it's it's hard for me to see him going anywhere outside of the top ten. Right now, okay, but now I will say this, and we've gone a little bit long on him, but I, I think it's important to say, if I am picking a linebacker in the top five, which is like, you know, it's scary. Shout out Devin White. I need you to be very high impact on passing downs. Right, that's the money down. I need you to matter on third and seven. Parsons is a blitzer feel great about it so if you're a team that blitzes your second level defenders a lot right if like baltimore needed him if tennessee needed him let's do it but if you ask your linebacker to cover to seattle i how much confidence do i have in parson matching up with travis kelsey right now not as much as i should because he's not asked to do that frequently zone or man so if you are drafting parsons top five Top 10. That's the linebacker. Positional value would not support this decision. You have to really feel strongly about his coverage ability. And I'm only able to feel strongly about his coverage ability to the extent to which I've seen him play in coverage. Not as much as I would have liked. 
and to the extent which I believe in his athletic ability and ability to develop, which I have full confidence in. But you're not all the way there. Whereas a player like Simmons, you were like, Simmons is, is already a really, really good cover man, full stop. So the, that gives me pause in terms of the valuation of Parsons. The evaluation of Parsons is this is Achilles incarnate on the football field. The valuation gets a little finicky. Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Last guy, last guy we're talking about today, Dylan Moses. And we got the chance to talk about him last year on the Summer Scouting Series because he was draft eligible. But unfortunately, after we went through our evaluation of him, he suffered an ACL injury in camp before the season even got kicked off. So we weren't sure whether we were going to get Dylan Moses again in college football. He decided to come back. Now we might not even have a season, which is a super bummer for him. But just to give people a recap of how Dylan Moses got to this point as a football player at Alabama, I think it is worth mentioning here a year later. Five-star recruit in the 2017 recruiting class. He started really focusing on football, and this is in his own words for an article that he wrote from the Players' Tribune. At the age of nine, with an insane 6 a.m. workout every day, I believe, with his pops, of 400 push-ups, 800 sit-ups. This is your favorite story in the world. 10 minutes of jump rope. And then I believe like a half mile after that. Ben, he was nine. He's nuts. When did Saban offer him a scholarship? Hold on. When he was 10 years old, he said he played football against his family. The rest of the 18 and older people, full tackle. You know why, Ben? Because at 10 years old, he said he was just barely under six foot and barely under 200 pounds. They caught him across between Bo Jackson and Ray Lewis, Trev. As a sixth grader at a college camp, he ran a 4-4. At a, as a sixth grader and as an eighth grader. 11 to 12 years old. As an 8th grader, LSU, the reigning national champions, not at the time, but LSU offered him a full-ride scholarship as an 8th grader. It's It's unbelievable. His football journey is nuts. So... Not sure if you uh, remember what you said about Dylan Moses last year, if you went back to listen to that podcast, or if you still have your notes from last year, but... We have not seen a snap of Dylan Moses on a football field since we went over him. Ben, what did you think about him last year and now potentially going into the NFL draft two years removed from the last time that he's taken a snap? I wonder if I do have my my Dylan Moses notes from last year because they would have been digital. Last year I was taking digital notes because I thought I was a modern boy. Mm -hmm. Um, Dylan Moses... Is is play speed is is nuts, right? It's bananas. This is where you're you're basing your evaluation on Moses is the fact that his technical understanding of where he needs to be, when he needs to be, 
in flow is ridiculous. Like and Parsons, I, like I said, like did all the wrong things, but he got a, not got away with it, but because he has unbelievable instincts and then athletically, he's very great. Moses is tremendous athletically, but he is very regimented to what he's supposed to do, what his responsibilities are in the play. He is extremely technically sound and his processing speed is delightful. He very regularly is ahead of plays. Now, at times he will get frozen when he's trying to, I think, do too much, or at least he's got too, he, a little bit of sensory overload. He's a thinker, and a lot of times you don't want your linebackers to be thinkers because you don't want them playing slow and you don't want them getting frozen in space. And Moses is a thinker, but he's such a fast processor and such a good athlete that 99% of the time it's not a problem. And then the 1% of the time that it is, because it's clear, like, like uh, I remember the Clemson natty was a game where you saw him occasionally just sitting there trying to understand the entire backfield before he made a decision. And sometimes you just have to try to trust your keys and go. And if you're in the wrong spot, that's fine. With that said, his trigger when he decides to go elite physicality, crashing through contact to Mm -hmm. the ball carrier elite tackling strength, tackling technique elite. Coverage ability, relating to routes quickly to deny targets, elite. So when he's got it, he's got it. Number one, you got to make sure he's healthy because he has got such a wide range of influence. He's such a rangy player and he's such a free moving player. If you start to lose that ability to trigger, you start to lose that first step explosiveness. He's not going to make the same plays at range that he is accustomed to making, and he's going to have to learn how to start to cheat more and play a little faster and not be so dedicated to parsing his reads and always being in the right spot. So number one, you got to check the health. And number two, I do think that, that you're going to want to see him be willing to be more of a downhill penetrating style of a player who commits earlier because his worst plays are where you can tell he's thinking on his heels. Yeah. And it's tricky because also some of his best plays come from him parsing information. So it, it, you don't want to take that away from him, but there is a place where you'd like to see a little bit more balance there. Well, I think that you, know, you talk about his, his best plays and his worst plays almost stemming from the same examples. To me, the fact that you're getting both in there, I'm, I'm, I, I much more believe the part that he's getting it right. It's just the fact that he's inexperienced. Like he just play, he hasn't played a lot. That's what that's what I feel like it is. I feel like sometimes you will watch his eyes go to the right spot, even at the right time, but his body almost just like doesn't move. Like it's a hair too slow. Like he hesitates just a little bit. To me, you just need snaps. You you just need to see the things that you know because it's much different for Dylan Moses, who I you know he clearly puts a lot of work and effort into his craft, even outside of the football field itself. So we're talking about in the film room, in the meeting room, he is trying to make himself as mentally prepared for the game as he possibly can so he can let his physicality mensch his mental side of the game. And let me tell you, it is a high ceiling for both. But it's very different watching something on film, sitting in a, in, in a desk with a notepad in front of you, or looking at something on a whiteboard, and then diagnosing it and recognizing it as it's unfolding in front of you against SEC players at full speed, right? So there's a big difference between those things. And I think there's a baseline to have faith in Dylan Moses not being a tick slow 
all the time. Like, like they, they, he can grow past it. That That is just something that with time, with more experience, with more games played, with more snaps under his belt, he will be able to give you those good sides of plays much more than the bad. And I think that that's going to go away real quick. And then you mentioned how many elite things that he does as a linebacker prospect. Once he gets all that stuff down, again, this is a, this is a top 20 player, right? I mean, like, this is a, it's so hard to find a hole in Dylan Moses' game. If that, if that knee checks out, man... Right, he's going to be uh, what so many teams are looking for in a linebacker and more. Now, it should be said because we talk about Parsons and we talk about the past edge rushing experience on Parsons. Moses, especially in his first year in Alabama, when they had Rashawn Evans and Mac Wilson, and, and he was heard of him deep on the depth chart. They would have him as a sub package rusher, and he was mean. He can rush passer. I mean, he he beat uh, uh, Becton in the Louisville game off the edge, little little, little uh, swat rip, baby, on the outside corner. And and athletically, I mean, he's unbelievably flexible, so he takes a super uh, tight corner. I think he's great at getting off blocks for a linebacker. Yeah, like if guys are climbing right. towards him, or if he's sifting through trench work. I mean, like his hands are up, his eyes are in the backfield. He knows exactly how to get off. Yeah. I think that I thought that he was great at that. I think Moses is going to, and this is such a dumb thing to say in August, and I hate myself for saying it. I think Moses is going to surprise people at the combine, but he is a better athlete than he plays as because his play style is patient, methodical, and I think that folks aren't going to watch his film and fully understand athletically what he's capable of. So. Going back to Naoto Ote, guy you want to play a little bit faster. You got a guy you want to play a little bit slower. Excuse me, because athletically he's capable of doing it. Moses is also athletically capable of playing as low as he is. He is playing or playing as slow as he is. He is playing as slow as he is. He makes a ton of great plays because of the way that he's reading through his blocks, getting into the backfield. He's beating, uh, you know, plays where he's meant to be unblocked. He's working off his read key, whatever. Sometimes it's decision-making. Sometimes it's figuring out those last nagging plays. But overall, very little to complain about for Dylan Moses. And I think people are going to underestimate just what athletically he brings as well when he when he tests in Indianapolis. Hey, four studs, man. Four stud linebackers that we took a look at today. I'm already loving the top of this class. We got four more guys that we're talking about tomorrow. Nick Bolton, who I know has a lot of fans on, uh, on Twitter.com. I feel like I've seen Nick Bolton's name quite a bit. Jack Sanborn, Chaz Surratt, and Charles Snowden. Those are the four guys that we're talking about tomorrow. Until then, you guys keep it locked right here on Locked on NFL Draft. Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked on NFL Draft Podcast. They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to this Locked On Podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. 